Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Today, we're doing some listener Q&As. 
You can skip ahead to those if you want. Uh, you can go hit up the show notes. we got timestamps down there where you can skip ahead. Uh, but in the meantime, we're going to be talking about a bunch of stuff. Uh, the end of deer season here in Alabama, our last couple hunts. Uh, plans for next year, probably some hunting club stuff. And we're going to talk about some more uh, gas station stuff because we got quite the feedback on uh, on our discussion on, a, I, I, I call it uh, our affinity for southern gas station food. Um, and, Jacob, how are you doing? And diners, the whole nine yards. Yes, yeah. diners. No, no, doing doing well. Yeah, it is the end of deer season, so you know we're gonna talk some deer hunting. But I'm also very excited about turkey season now. Yeah, oh, yeah, me too, me too. I'm extremely excited for turkey season. Uh, so last week we on this Thursday episode uh, that we do every week, you know, the outro, whatever we call it, we discussed uh, some local restaurants. That mm-hmm. you know, a little diner hole in the walls, country little restaurants. Yeah, little country restaurants. You know, and our our again our affinity for uh, Southern gas station culture. Uh, oh, you get a, you have oh, a I list? got I, dude. I got I had so many people message me, uh, especially about like the Twix and Tween and Centerville Calico Kitchen. I was surprised at how many messages I got about the Calico Kitchen, High Burger Cafe. Again, these are little tiny restaurants here in Alabama. A lot of them are gone now, unfortunately. Uh, but there are little tiny restaurants out in the country where hunters go hang out. Uh, there's another one that was across the street from the Calico Kitchen. Uh, what's it called? It's like Willard's Barbecue and Grill. They got big old bucks in there. They got a big turkey thing on the wall, big turkey mount. Places like that. So we got a bunch of messages. I'm going to read off a couple of them right here. Uh, Adam Bice, who's a killer. Um, he sent in a listener success story. He sent a message and he said, <clears throat> Barry, Alabama, uh, Toogie's Diner. Uh, and Big Al's is in Barry, Alabama. Maplesville, the Barking Frog Gas Station. That's the that, place that we were talking that's about. The place we, were talking we couldn't about. remember the name of it. Barking Frog Gas Station. Autogaville. You got Chester's Chicken. I've, I've had some Chester's Chicken. Honey, honey Butter Biscuits? Uh, no, that's Crispy Crunchy Chicken. They, oh, got that whole, they got these honey. Oh my gosh. <laughs> me, me and Michael, we need to get Pike on here because me and Pike were like, it's when we did our like two week Georgia early season. Yeah. Pike came down and stayed with me for like two weeks when I was in Auburn. Yeah, got a kidney stone and everything. Got a kidney stone, and we went. He's he's the one that introduced me to a crispy crunchy chicken. We went there and I got these little honey biscuit things. We st- we waited like half an hour for him to get done. They were and they were worth it. They were so worth it. Okay, uh, uh, Clanton, Alabama. He said a gas station across the interstate from the Peach. I think it's that, a, that's Chevron. a Chevron. That's the one that I was talking about. Yeah, that one's awesome. That's the one where like you go in there. At like 4.30 in the morning, you ask that lady for bacon, she delivers. <laughs> Listen, she, I mean, she scoops it out of there. She's using all five fingers. She's like getting it. Glove or no glove? Oh, she got a glove. Okay. She got a glove, okay. but you know. It is Alabama. That's all right. Uh, uh, let's see. Um, let's see. Uh, Lake, uh, another one in Clanton, the Lake Mitchell exit. Uh, Shoney's, all you can eat breakfast buffet. Past. I've never eaten there. <sighs> Have you ever had a Shoney's before? Negative. Really? No, they- I've never eaten at a Shoney's. Really? Never. There used to be time. a lot more of them than a lot of them went out of business. I'm surprised that one's still in well, business. Well, and then, in all caps, any Hunt Brothers pizza. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an amen on but, that, But brother. listen, if you get Hunt's Brothers pizza, you know, people up in the Midwest, all oh, Casey's, Casey's, Casey's. Casey's is good, okay? Mm-hmm. But like, there's Hunt some, Brothers is way better than Casey's. I'm, that, I'll just that, say that, it. That's fighting words. I'll, that, just, I'll <laughs> say it, dude. I'll fight any Midwesterner over that. <laughs> I'm telling you. Dude, dude Casey's. Hey, hey, if we do a pay-per-view uh, fight, would you do it? Cases versus Hunts Brothers. Okay, Listen, I'll, I'll fight. I'll fight somebody from the Midwest. You have Trevor, over, you have Trevor Peak on, but you, on your but team, but you have to fight Trevor Peak. No, no, Trevor Peak's on your team. That's what I'm saying. It's oh, you and Trevor Peak. I got Trevor. It's, it's tag team. Well, yeah, off, dude. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Absolutely, dude. I'll go in there and take one on the chin, and then just go tag Trevor. <laughs> All right, this is from Drake Connell. 
Uh, he said, Andrew, I'm sitting here in the shooting house looking at three does that I can't shoot because they're across the road from our lease, listening to you talk about the Twix and Tween. I grew up in Centerville, loved eating at the Twix and Tween. I used to go sit and drink coffee on Saturday mornings before going hunting and during the week before work, sitting at what they call the old folks table, quote unquote, with all the old men listening to their stories about what they did during the week. Uh, and you're talking about Mr. Benny. I'm curious to know if he is from Bibb County, and if you get a chance to go back to Highburger, stop by the Highburger Grocery and get James to cut you a steak and season it. Best steak you'll ever grill at home. I'd love to hear more of your Bibb count- Bib and Perry County stories. Y'all keep on being awesome from Drake. Mr. Benny is from... He grew up, like, uh, like if you're familiar with uh, County Road 13 between Helena and Green Pond, Woodstock, he grew up right there. But he spent a ton of time... He grew up hunting Bibb and Perry Counties, Dallas County, kind of like we were talking about. So I'm sure, like, if you just go into any random gas station anywhere along Highway 5, they probably know Mr. Benny. Yeah, you're like, you know Ben George? (laughs) He's about yay tall. Yeah, killer. Just a killer. Oh, yeah. So uh, so anyway, that's pretty cool. That's exactly what we're talking about, though. You know, they got the old folks table. Go listen to all the old men talk Mm -hmm. about, like, you know, what it was like hunting uh, in, like, the 70s or whatever. Mm all right, we got one more I'm going to read from Jeremy Sims. He said, uh, writing in to tell you about our breakfast spot in northwest Florida. It's called Brown's Groceries on 90 in Holt, Florida. It's 100% homemade breakfast, dinner, and supper. This is a There's a line from when they open until 11 a.m. every day during season. It also sells live worms, other tackle, some hardware, and Hunt's Brother Pizza. Did you oh, get- and it's also in a gas station, the only gas station for miles. I want to go there. Dude, oh, you know, they say his live worms. Are you like adding them to like a breakfast burrito or something, or you cake them fish? Hey, man, extra protein. Hey, uh, re- that's my kind of place. You get you a biscuit and your freaking worms and everything. It'd be the only thing they're missing is if they, if they had some live minners. That and some hunting supplies. Yeah. You get your bag of deer corn while you're at it. <laughs> get you that no estrus. Hit the woods, boys. We got a couple more um, in our in our uh, Apple reviews that we're going to read at the end. Oh, okay. yeah. Oh, dude, I'm telling you, we got a huge amount of feedback. We got we got so many people commented on that YouTube video. Yeah. We had so many emails. I got a bunch of Facebook messages. Mm-hmm. A bunch of people I know texted me, and they were like, "Oh yeah, the Twix and Tween." Especially the, that's like the most. And oh, I cannot believe I forgot about this one. The Sawmill Restaurant. Oh, Sawmill. That's yeah, the yeah. one I was thinking of. Oh God, I love that place. Listen, me, you, and Nick went in there one time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After a long day of hunting. And they lost money on us, son. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a buffet. And fried chicken. I promise bro. you they lost money on us. Guaranteed. <laughs> Especially with me being there. Listen, I ate for three, baby. Dude, I was like, I, I had three plates. I literally went and got three. That was one of those That was one of those times where you like immediately regret it, and uh, and you're not feeling too good afterwards. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was bad. Because I think yeah. we went back out hunting, didn't we? Yeah. Awful choice. Awful choice. Oh, horrible. Yeah, horrible she, needed, choice. Needed a couple hour nap after that. Yeah. But, but yeah, awesome. Uh, speak about that. I'm trying to, there was a, someone wrote in to me talking about some restaurants and uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, well, they were just, uh, one guy wrote in, I think he was from South Carolina. I need to try to find the message, but he was talking about, he's like, it's funny when y'all were talking about like the gas station food. Cause he's like, you go to like, you go to like the Midwest, you can find because I've been in like places like you know, like Iowa, Missouri, Illinois, stuff like that, and you have like little breakfast spots. But it's like it's weird. There's like a line of like what's like normal at a breakfast spot. Like a lot of bre- a lot of like these gas stations, you could walk in at four thirty in the morning. They have all kinds of breakfast food. Yeah, get chicken crispitos, bro. Which I, I think I've talked about this before, dude. I want to go around and that's one of my favorite things for a gas station is chicken crispito. Do you know what that is? Oh yeah. 
Okay, just just double checking. I don't know <laughs> if they had those at y'all's school growing up, but uh, dude, you could get like a chicken crispito, a corn dog, a fr- like chicken tenders at four thirty in the morning. Place down here does that. No, oh, yeah. it's like, dude, mm-hmm. it's it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was like that one time we were in a Hartzell, Alabama, and we went into a, like a random gas station, <laughs> and I think it was like the is like the Cattlemen's Association. Yeah, yeah, maybe? yeah. They were they were grilling and like you walk into the gas station like ten a.m. It was like real smoke, kind of smoky in there, and I saw they had some food and I was kind of hungry, and I see they have something just pile. I mean, literally a pile like this big, and I'm like, "What is that?" And like I walk the over warmer. there. Yeah. I'm thinking it's like something, and I walk <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, you thought it was something. I was like, I don't know. I didn't know what I thought it was, and then I walk up to it. And I'm like looking at it. And I'm like, "Ma'am, are those ribeye steaks?" And she's like, "Yeah, baby, those are ribeyes." And I was like. How much are they? She's like nine dollars, and I I almost cried, dude. I was so excited. Like <laughs> like whatever's on this card, take it. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Was we good. Bo- we both got a we both had one or two a piece, whatever. Oh, yeah, because you know, we were doing a podcast. It was like ten thirty in the morning. That's when we were uh, interviewed Alan Summerford. Yeah. Oh gosh, yeah, that was good. That'll get me to move to Hartzell. They do that all the time. Freaking nine dollar ribeye, and it was like a good ribeye. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, it, it was, was a great ribeye. Yeah, great, great. I'm not talking. It's not, no, it's not like no two inch thick. You know, no, but just it, giant. But, but for like the price point, it like blew you away. Because I was thinking, oh, like, this, great, this great be, fat content. Yeah, like, I, I thought it was gonna be super tough. Like kind of like no, dude. It was like for tender. I, I would, I would be very like if I went to any restaurant and I could get that for t- dude every time. Oh, 100%. Every time. 100%. I'd order two of them. I'd eat two of them, for real. Um, man, all right. So we're going to talk a little bit more when we read the reviews because we got some feedback on that. But it is the end of deer season here in Alabama. Uh, it ended this past weekend. So I guess uh, we'll give a little update on that, and then we'll get to the Q&As. Um, we, ended, we ended deer season at the hunting club this year. We were just trying to get out there and, and you know maybe kill some does, maybe kill a 10-point. Who knows? Did we mention the 10-point showed back up? Uh... I don't know if we mentioned it on here. It was getting to be... So, this is interesting. We're going to talk about this probably on a future episode. We're going to get Sam and Blake and everyone on. Um, But when I joined the club, everybody I, I asked like four different people when the rut was. And I should have I really known better. Because um, I got four different answers. But we landed on... It's around New Year's. Early January, right? Mm-hmm. So, around New Year's, early January, we were we hunted it pretty hard. And um, Mike killed his buck, and then the second half of January we kind of moved on, and we were hunting some. We were kind of traveling, trying to catch the rut. So what I, I, what I now know after I went and just pulled all my trail cameras, is at least for the bigger mature bucks, they they're daylighting from like January fifteenth on. I yeah. did I did get some, I did get some daylight photos videos of the 10 point and the big eight point that got killed so there's another really nice eight point out there mm-hmm. he he wound up getting killed just walking across a food plot a food plot that gets hammered with pressure okay so yeah i learned there's a, a guy there every weekend and probably multiple times during the week there's somebody sitting in that shooting mm-hmm. house right off the highway yep that's right oh no wait that's a different one. Oh, which oh is that the is it the one down the bottom on the yeah. power line yep, yep. oh yep. that yep. one. that one there it's still high pressure Still gets pressured quite a bit. For a while, I was thinking it was the other one. No, someone else killed a buck Kim's on spot. that one. No, one oh, Kim's someone spot. shot a buck in there. Yeah, but it was it was like a seven point. It was a young deer. It was actually a deer I like really hoped did not get shot. He got he got smoked, son. But anyways, uh, yeah, all these bigger bucks were showing up later January, and that the buck that the the big eight point that got killed, mm-hmm. he. Dude, he was just begging to—he was begging to die. I barely got a night picture of him, like in the in the spots that we cleared this summer and we prepped this summer. Uh, I killed my six point in one of them, 
and Mike killed his deer in another one of them. And uh, those spots we ran cameras on, and both of those, the two biggest bucks on the property, the big eight and the ten point, you could have killed them multiple times in January in those in either one of those spots. The the thing that we did wrong is we hunted it a little early. So I don't know about I, I still I haven't like seen any like crazy like chasing or anything out there yet. But what this told me is on January thirtieth, the big the ten point showed up. I got I had a cell camera out there. He showed up on a scrape at like four p.m. Mm-hmm. We were sitting here at the house. You were recording some ad reads in here and. You like, I heard you yell in the other room. He's like, he's back, he's back. Because we hadn't got a picture of him in a long time. Yeah. He just showed up. The next morning, a guy in the club kills that big eight point walking across the food plot. And then for the rest of that week, I had just all kinds of bucks on the cameras that I pulled. They're not cell cameras or anything. I pulled them the other day, including the big 10 point on the eighth. So that he was, he was walking around at 12 o'clock noon on the eighth. So two days before I pulled the cameras. Still in deer season. Our deer season ends February 10th. So what that told me is I just I think I miscalculated when you could kill him. Uh and so next year if I stay in the club, uh I know Mike's staying in it for sure, so if I'm not doing it then Mike definitely needs to do it. That prioritize that January 15th to February 10th time frame cuz that's when those big mature bucks are just freaking walking all over those cameras dude. Yeah. In in daylight. So but now I know. And I was telling Sam about that earlier because, you know, Sam and Blakely, they were hunting a lot of food plots last year, and, I was, and they didn't have much luck. And I was like, y'all just got to get off the food plots, and, and y'all got to start climbing trees. And you, and so then that deer gets killed on a food plot. And so I had to take Sam. I was like, listen, bro, I know what I said, but here's how I framed it to Sam. And, and some people might find this helpful. Um, th- from the Let's just take the beginning of gun season until now. There's usually like five or six guys out, especially getting into January every Saturday and Sunday. There's mm-hmm. there's usually several guys on the property. They pretty much always sit a food plot. So I was telling Sam, I'm like, okay, that deer got killed on February 1st, I think it was. From November 19th or whenever it was that gun season opened, that mid-November time frame until now, you've had roughly four to six people hunting a food plot two days a week, you know, every week. Mm-hmm. How many man days is that? A lot. I was like, it took that many man days for to for someone to kill a mature buck on a food plot. Daniel Williams is drooling about this conversation. Okay, so explain what a man day is real quick. I want to do some math. <clears throat> so a man day, and we just talked about this, I think, on an episode a couple weeks ago, or last week. So a man day, if one guy, if, if it was just you, no buddies, just you hunting you know, a piece of public land, lease, whatever, that's one man day. If it's you and three of your buddies hunting, say, your hunting club, on a Saturday, that'd be three main days, three different separate observations from one area uh, for that day. If you had a hundred people hunting a piece of public land and on a Saturday, that'd be a hundred man days. So man days is like kind of that something that we think about specifically when you look at like harvest rates for like from like specific pieces of public. Uh, no matter like where you're at, like a lot of times the state will either publish some of that data or if you go to like the check station for like a specific wildlife management area in the southeast, a lot of times if it's a check-in hunt where they have to bring the deer and get it, you know, certified by a biologist to take different uh, data points from those deer, they will write down somewhere, sometimes it's a whiteboard, sometimes it's in a notepad, but you, a lot of times you ask the biologist of roughly how many people they thought were out there, especially if it's like an open permit, they know exactly how many people are out there. Or how many people, you know, supposedly they, they're guesstimating were hunting a property and how many deer were getting killed. And you can kind of see, like, from a harvest record standpoint, what are, the, like, the best days to go hunt 
you know, mm-hmm. specific pieces of public land based off when deer getting like more of your bucks are getting killed. Yeah. Um, and but like with the hunting club, it's fascinating. And this is going to go into a future conversation. We're going to have a podcast guest that like some of these areas you could hunt to death. And then all of a sudden it turns around and then there's a short window of time of when those bucks are actually there. Yes. And that's when you can kill them. A hundred percent. So that's what I was talking to Sam about. So give or take with all the people who hunt our club and how many times the food plot's getting hunted between, well, I mean, we could include bow season, especially if you include bow season, but from gun season to the point that deer got killed, give or take a hundred man days or so, probably just guesstimating. If you include bow season more than that, probably more Mm -hmm. like 120 or something. Yeah. 120 man days to kill that buck on that field. Okay, now you take that and contrast it with where we hunted the 10-point in bow season and when Mike missed the 10-point in, in bow season. So backstory on that, uh, it was in this one area of the club that we thought he was hanging out. I went in there and spot-checked it one day. You could count that as a man day. Yeah. Uh, I went in and spot-checked it, found this buck sign coming out of the bedding area, and I figured that's where the, the bucks were hanging out, and there were some white oaks right there. We go in there with Mike, and the first time, he misses it with his bow. So he yeah. sees the 10 point. So two man days versus 100. Yeah. Okay. So that that's what I was getting to with Sam. I'm like, obviously, it's not always going to work out where you just go find the sign and then bam, there's the buck. But it just illustrates where you have five to six, four to six guys who are hunting the crap out of food plots. And most years, they don't kill a buck like that on a food plot. This year, they did. Yeah. But also, it tells you that. But it also tells you that uh, maybe. Around that January 31st, early February time frame, if you've got a food plot that does are coming out in a lot, I mean, go sit it. Why not? Mm-hmm. You know, especially if you're like maybe late getting out or crunched for time or you can't hunt that long, so you don't want to dive into a spot, maybe just go sit, get in the shooting house. Mm-hmm. The, the guy went in there and he got he got in that shooting house at 6 a.m., shot the buck at 6.21 a.m., walking across, just checking that food plot. So anyways, that... I, I, it was a, it was a good learning lesson for me because again, if I stay in the club this year, like I have supreme confidence on that ten point for this coming season because uh, not only did we locate him this year, we put Mike on him and and Mike was able to get a shot at him. Yep. Uh, I I put myself in front of his bachelor group and he just didn't come out in time, so I shot the big six point instead. Mm-hmm. Um, like. I just I feel like next year, like I've got it, I got him down pat. Like I know exactly where he is hanging out, and uh, and so I, and I and I got now I got trail camera data of several times of him showing up in daylight in specific spots at specific times. So I'm going to use that annual pattern for next year, mm-hmm. and I still got two cameras that I haven't even pulled yet. So I'm excited about that too. Uh, but yeah, dude, it's just been a giant learning lesson this year. I'm I'm, I'm really excited. So you're gonna leave some big deer to go find other deer i don't know see that's that's where i'm torn so hey you know you know i just thought about this probably don't want to do this but it'd be interesting do the southern outdoorsman hunting club get together you know 10 15 listeners go leash a big property <laughs> that sounds really good in theory <laughs> but see the problem with that is like we got 10 or 15 people who are going to be doing exactly what we do that's like the beauty of, a lot, of our club might have a lot of deer get killed probably uh, but this is what I was telling Sam too, because he's thinking about the same club I'm thinking about join. They might join too, because mm-hmm. you know they've had they've had a Sam had a rough year. Blakely killed a deer, uh, but Sam had a pretty rough year, and he was like he was talking about he's a little discouraged after this year. I'm like man, but it's kind of like the grass is always greener on the other side. 
And I'm like, if you if we join this other club, we're gonna be hunting the same exact kind of stuff. Like you're still yeah. gonna be hunting like pines, uh, clear cuts, hardwood. Bo- like mm-hmm. it's the same exact habitat. Nothing about it is different, but it's a bigger property. And the draw of it is they they've killed they killed a lot more deer out there this year than we killed on our property. And also, <clears throat> I think our property sets up a little bit more for like transient deer. Mm-hmm. So you could have a like just a rando come through. <laughs> rando. A rando. <laughs> because uh just cuz of how the terrain sets up without saying too much, but there's deer that that funnel around like a large feature that come through the property. But I don't feel like our property holds like a ton of bucks. Like or a ton of big bucks. Like there was two big bucks I think the property is holding this year. Do you know how many turkeys got killed out there last year? No, no idea. Uh, I know I killed one. I don't. I think maybe one or two others got killed, but that's another thing. Is I was like, hey, wait till turkey season's over before you make a decision. Like, let's get out there and turkey hunt. Which you know, and we had some guys uh, stop us at the the little pinout shed, mm-hmm. and they were wanting to. This is another thing why we're not sure about what to do with this club because they were like, man, we just don't have any uh, big deer out here. We we we're not holding deer like we used to or or i just feel like there's there's not enough bucks out here and of course i have not told them like what i got on camera and i don't think they were running very many cameras so i don't know what they have on camera but they let on like there's just absolutely no deer on the property and he's talking about how we need to we need to be real serious about how we're uh planting this summer and it's because we didn't have summer food plots and we need to go till up this 10 acres and plant soybeans on it where the hell are you 10 acres Uh, that's listen He's talking about needing soybeans out there, and I'm like kind of sitting there, which sounds great. Sounds yeah. great until you realize the neighbors have you know 400 acres of soybeans. Yes, or that, not, maybe not. That, that's exaggerated. Maybe you know, that's really. Well, that, that was that was one thing. That was one part of it. <laughs> like there's already a soybean field like pretty close to the property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or it was a soybean field. Um, that there's that, but also the cost associated with that. I'm like, I am not. I don't want to pay money to plant soybeans on these freaking clay hilltops where they're not going to grow. No. And it's not going to do anything anyways. Because where they came through and they, I, I was like, I finally I brought it up because I was like, hey, like, I get what you're saying. But where they just, they just cut a bunch of stuff along one of the creeks, the big, big clear cut. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, everything that comes up in that is going to be like high protein. Like there's going to be so much native browse down there. And he's like, well, we got enough briars on the property. I was like, eh, okay. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but that native habitat, I believe, would be more tonnage of browse per acre than a soybean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially after the soybeans die back. Yeah. And uh, and you just left with the bean pod, which would be fine, I guess. But no, and y'all don't have any big enough plot. If y'all plant soybeans anywhere out there, they'd get mowed. They they would never grow. Yeah. yeah. It's it's like our farm. Like uh, this is one of the first years. Well, Anthony at the farm, he puts up electric fencing around like some of the bigger uh, soybean fields. <clears throat> but this is the first year they actually made it to like good height. And the only reasoning why is because he came through and mulched this area and there's like weared out a bunch of stuff, like just got rid of a, a ton of like privet and just of thick stuff. Cause that probably get clear cut. And because of all that and everything that kind of grew back underneath it, it was so much more browse. And like when we went out there with, um, Kyle, uh, oh, yeah, Liebarger yeah. and Alan Summerford, they're like, this is why you're, Plots are even like making it right now. It's because there's all, look at all the browse in here, and like you can see what the deer are eating all of it. Yep. And it's like your property doesn't have a lot of that. So I mean, in mm-hmm. the summertime it does, but like it doesn't have like an overabundance of mm-hmm. like some of that kind of habitat. 
and uh, he, he the, yeah, it would not make it. I, I just told, I was telling you, like, if they're going to play anything, they just need to get away from the rye that they're playing and just plant uh, clover. Yeah, they did say clover. I was like, yeah, we should plant clover. Yeah, that, would be, that would be clover. A lot super. Better. Anthony does a bunch at the farm. Perennial. It's super easy to manage, and uh, turkeys like it too. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, I remember now because Alan and Kyle gave us the example of because that's what Anthony did. He planted soybeans, but there was all this native like grassland basically mm-hmm. stuff right next to the bean field. And we're sitting there looking at the two of them and they were like, okay, imagine this. Um, take like a five gallon bucket and go fill it full of like green leaf, like stuff that deer would be eating. Mm-hmm. He's like, you can, one person does it in the soybean field. One person does it over here in the native habitat. And like just within an arm's reach, there's so much more in that native habitat mm-hmm. uh, than there is in a bean field, you know, pl- pl- until the, at least until the bean field gets like super high and really, really thick, which yeah. it's not going to. Yeah. And Anthony, uh, we, well, we had, I think Alan brought it up or maybe Kyle brought it up while we were out there on like one of the hillsides that Anthony had already tilled in and put in a soybean field. Yes. And he didn't tell Anthony this like directly to his face. So afterwards when he told me, then he told Anthony. Yeah. He's like, what you just tilled in, if you were had to go buy this seed, because like, oh, yeah. you can't find a lot of these plants like everywhere. Like If you wanted mm-hmm. to plant these plants, like all this native browse and all, all these different High-quality browse. Yeah. He's like, dude, it would cost you upwards. And a lot of people won't believe this, but like Kyle showed me like actual pricing for like these native seeds. On the low end, $4,000 an acre. Yep. On the upper end, almost $10,000 an acre to plant the diversity of what's on it. And <sighs> Anthony was like, uh, okay. <laughs> and they were talking to him about Woo. coming out and actually harvesting actually having one of these native seed companies come out and pay Anthony mm-hmm. to come harvest seeds because mm-hmm. it's so diverse. There's so many of those like high quality plant species that a lot of other landowners want because they don't have the diversity. Yes. And uh, yeah, just write Anthony a check every time they come out there and just, you know, fill up buckets full yeah, of that's seeds. Pretty, that's legit. Yeah. That's the, that's the point I was trying to make to those guys. Cause again, like I, I see where they're coming from. Cause like I used to think like that too, before I got to know guys who do this stuff professionally, like, Kyle, who are really good at it, or the Land and Legacy guys. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I understand where their mind is, but my thing is like, man, I'm just not going to throw money at that because it's just, it's not going to work. Yeah. You know, and then they were talking about, uh, they wanted us to, uh, talking to me and Sam and uh, Mike and Blakely, they were like wanting us to build a shooting house. They were like, y'all go get some lumber and build a shooting house and put it on one of these fields. I was like, no. Absolutely not. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm just not gonna do that. Like the club, Andrew's not a team player, guys. Listen, if see. the club, if if we have money with the club that we have with our dues, like you know, there's some leftovers. If we want to go buy some lumber, I'll help. I'll absolutely help build a shooting house. But I'm not going and buying all of it myself mm-hmm. and and building it myself and then going and putting it somewhere because I will absolutely never hunt in it. And so that was the other thing. Like they're they're kind of wanting to go around the president's back a little bit and do some stuff. And I'm like, ah, dude, let's just let's just get everyone together, see what they want to do, and take it from there. Um, well, bring up the whole baiting thing. Oh, the baiting thing. That was probably one of the the best parts as well. Where you know they're talking about how we need these bean fields to draw deer to the property because uh, there's just nothing to keep them out there in the summer or whatever. And you used to be able to bait on this property a couple of years ago. I'm like, hey, were y'all. Y'all were in the club back when we could still bait, right? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, do you feel like you had a bunch more deer uh, in the club when you were able to bait and, like, put out your corn and peanuts and whatever you were throwing out? Mm-hmm. And they and they just kind of looked at me for a second, and they were like, no. <laughs> like, 
okay, then why do you think a bean field's going to like draw them in and from 10 bean, miles away? Like a tenth of an acre bean field, if that. Yeah, no, there's no, like, it's just crazy, dude. Yeah. And the, the funny part also is, you know, I live really close to this club, and there's some bean fields right up the road from us. You never see deer in them. I've never. I mean, I've seen one buck in the one of those bean fields one time ever. You see more turkeys out there than anything. After they cut it, right now, all or like when they, when they first plant it. Oh yeah, there's when turkeys. They, when they first plant it, and the like the shoots are this big, turkeys are out there. Dude, I drive past it all the time, almost every day, and I look every. It's involuntary. I have to look. Yeah, every time. I have to look in the bean yeah. field. And I never see deer in it, dude. Which I know people might say, like, oh, they're coming out there at night. Sure, but me living right next to it and being able to look at it all the time. Different times of the day. Different times of the day. Early in the morning, right there at dusk. I should see does in it, and I don't. Like, I'm sure they're coming out there and browsing on it some, but I don't understand why they're not super drawn to it, other than this area has a lot of timber cutting activity, and there is a lot of that native habitat that they're probably browsing on it. Like it's not, it's just not like other parts of the state that I've been in, where there's also bean fields, but you don't have that timber activity, and uh, you're you're talking most of your woods are like mature hardwoods, mm-hmm. and so they're like they'll be fifty deer in a bean field like every night. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go. It's just not like that here. They can stay. They can stay in that pine thicket and eat honeysuckle and greenbrier and all kinds of all kinds of native browse. And, you know, like, when those guys were talking about it, they were like, well, to, like, be really healthy, they need the, the soybeans or whatever. I'm like, what did deer ever do before we showed up with soybeans? <laughs> so that, <and laughs> How did they survive? It, well, it's so like when we did our episode with, I think it's when we were at the farm, and we did it with mm-hmm. Kyle and Alan, and then Anthony was on it. We talked about that, where, like, there was, like, a culture thing happened early 2000s. Everybody was wanting to go to Illinois. They were killing giant deer in Illinois, and it was, like, all about the beans and everything. Yep. And then, like, Alan talked about, um, it's like, dude, you go to states like Kansas, where it's, like, so dry, they don't, you don't have, you have certain parts that have mass, mass scale uh, agriculture, but there's a lot that's not. Most of it's just native grasses. Yeah. And they're still gigantic. Prairie. Yeah, prairie. There's gigantic bucks, but there's so many, there's so many different browse species in yeah. the, those native grasses and grasslands <clears throat> that can produce really big deer. And also feeds them all year long versus a bean field. You know, if they put the bean field in, say, you know, down here, typically they, it seems like they do it like in May time frame. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's only producing food for them from like May until they harvest it like in probably September, October. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And there's nothing else. It's bare dirt and like cover crop. Oh, yeah. But it's like that native, the native browse and like these native grasslands and stuff have different forage species throughout the whole year that they can feed on. So there's like quality food source at any point of the season, as long as there's not too many deer. Yeah. And, uh, that that really get through with Anthony because Anthony again kind of grew up that age of like you know he was going to Illinois early two thousands bow hunting they yep. shot some really good deer up there hunting public land and stuff and everybody's mindset was it was just the ag and I think ag could probably help deer put on body weight faster potentially mm-hmm. but the thing is they're not grazers they're browsers they're gonna eat in it for a little bit they're gonna go do other things and feed in other places oh, yeah. so like the more diverse you have the better you can see them and it's like. You know, you've got guys killing, you know, just huge body deer in areas where there's no ag. Yeah. But if you look at it, a lot of times some of those places, it's one or two things. Either it's like really remote and it's got a lot of mass crops, but even mass, like mass trees only produce high quality fat, you know, uh, high quality, high fat uh, food source for a very short window of time. Three months a year. And they can't live seven months out of the year with nothing but just acorns. 
Yeah. So it's like they're, oh, it's feeding another, them for like three months. That's another thing I forgot about what they said. So on this pro, it's a Westervelt property. Westervelt's a timber company, and they're doing some. I, I don't know if it's like uh, I don't know what they call it, like mitigation something something. Basically, when they clear cut the place, they cut almost to the creek. I mean, very very close to the creek. There's like you know one or two. I mean, it's like ten yards worth of hardwoods mm-hmm. on either side of the creek. Usually, the SNZ is bigger than that. Mm-hmm. So they've come in and they've mulched out the pine. So these pines are twenty foot tall now. Uh, really, really oh, mulching or actually clear cutting. They're 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 clear cutting it, and then they're like grinding the stumps and everything. Uh, and they they came through and they they just you know cut all those trees out for like a hundred yard buffer uh, extra, and so it's basically growing up at like a clear cut. But they came through and they planted a bunch of hardwood species. So what they're doing is they're reestablishing the hardwoods on either side of the creek, you know, for a pretty good buffer, you know, like 100 yards on either mm-hmm. side. or In some places, even a lot more than 100 yards. Oh, yeah. And um, that is like some of the best habitat ever, dude. It looks fantastic. It is slam full of deer. Uh, you go in there and there's just tracks everywhere. There's huge trails going through it. There's browse absolutely everywhere. A huge diversity of species that, you know, Alan and Kyle were teaching us about. A lot of good browse species that are going to put weight on deer, keep deer healthy. And I brought that up to to the guys we were talking to. I was like, they just cut another section of the property. I was like, hey, man, what they cut out there is going to be, like, phenomenal. Like, it, like there's going to be so much browse that comes up. It, it's going to do a lot for our deer. I think it's going to bring more deer to the property. And he was like, well... But, you know, they're, they just planted all those uh, hardwoods. The conversation immediately went to the hardwoods. He's like, I was talking to the lady who, you know, was in charge of it. And, you know, they planted all those. But, you know, it's going to be 20 years before those areas are productive for the deer out here. He's talking about until the the they get big, the trees get big enough to start dropping mast, like acorns and, and whatnot. And I'm like, dude. I used to think like that. I mean, that's that's how a lot of people think. You know, mm-hmm. that's how we grew up. Because when you think about deer, you think about oak trees yeah. and, and mast crops. But it's it's ironic because he's like totally missing the point that that native habitat, all that early successional growth, the grasses, the browse that's coming up right there, is way better for him than a big white oak tree. Yeah. You know, so he's like he's totally missing all this benefit that we're getting right now. And he's like, well, it's going to be 20 years before that's I wonder if they're doing that on that other club. They are. Oh, they are? Yeah. That's oh what I'm saying. God. <sighs> yeah. So, anyways, it's to be determined whether or not I want I want to stay in. Because, again, what I was telling Sam, they're thinking about the same thing. I'm like, dude, when you start hunting a property, it's like rolling a snowball downhill. Mm-hmm. You know? And the longer it goes, the bigger it gets. Uh, and so those are like your chances of killing a big buck on the property. It's like the longer you go, the bigger your chances are because you're learning. Now we know uh, we have a year of history with the biggest buck on the property, and we got him in daylight on a bunch of places. So we know where he hangs out. We know where he beds. All these other deer that are up-and-comers uh, who are three-and-a-half or two-and-a-half this year who are really good bucks who are going to be even better next year, we got to beat on all of them. Uh, we know how everyone in the property hunts. We got two years of history with all the other hunters in the club. We know who the other hunters in the club are. We know where the like drama points are and how to avoid them and whatnot. So we know what we got with this club. And next year, there's a really, in my opinion, a really good chance that we kill the biggest deer on the property, whether that be the ten point or some other deer. Like the biggest two or three bucks on the property, I'm very confident that like our group could kill all three of them. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, Whereas if we join this other club, 
We we don't have any history with any of the property. We got to completely relearn mm-hmm. everything. We got to start from scratch. We have no history with deer. We have no history with the people out there. So we don't know if there's like some more drama in that club or what we might be walking into. So you're again, the grass is always greener on the other side. So it, it's a little bit of a gamble. And so I'm like, I just don't know if I want to start over, you know, because I hunt all over the place anyways. You know, like I, we're for sure going to travel next year and go to different places. So uh, should I, do I really need like a whole bunch, like say there's there's five bucks that I want to shoot on the other club, but there's only two on my club. Do I really need those five bucks? Am I going to go, I can only get three in Alabama if I don't go do bonus buck days. Mm-hmm. So... I think I might have, I don't know. It kind of sounds like I'm going to stay, <laughs> but I don't know what I want to do. What do you think? What's your opinion? Uh, I mean. If you were me, what would you do? I mean, to be honest, you didn't even, like, hunt it a whole bunch this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, you did. You kinda, I, mean, you, I think you did more this year than you did last year. I hunted it. I hunted a good bit. But, <laughs> but like, I I don't think you just hop over across the road and get on another property and you're instantly in like higher quality deer. Yeah. Just because they have more acreage. Like, I, I just mm-hmm. don't think that's like necessarily the case. And they do have this more property, but they have a lot more hunters. And from mm-hmm. what Cody said, there's a lot better hunters in that club yes. than in your club. So it's like, you know, that means, you know, if y'all stay in your club, there's really no other competition unless some guy just gets lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, killing one just like that other guy killed eight point. You know, walk across the food plot. If that happens, cool. But if you got five or six or eight other guys in this other club who are actually like getting after it, mm-hmm. then it's like to that, me that's different. Yeah, to 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 me, you're kind of going. I, I think the advantage of hunting in a hunting club, if you're like going from public into a hunting club and you haven't been in a hunting club in a while, it's like you almost kind of want to get in one of those clubs where everybody's just really. I guess the best way to put it is kind of basic. Like, just go sit food plots, <laughs> sit power lines, sit stuff like that, and you can kind of get away from people a lot easier. But if you go into a club like that, it's, to me, you're almost paying for something that's like resembles a lot more public land isk. Mm. As in, like, you're probably going to find cameras in places you haven't found cameras before, like on your club. Mm. Probably going to find tree stands and guys using climbers instead of sitting on food plots. So it's like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, well, and also the guys. So we really only hunt two parts of the property pretty hard. Yeah, there's a whole section you don't ever go to. Yeah. Unless we're turkey hunting. And the the two guys that we were talking to about the food plots and everything, coincidentally, those are the only other people who hunt the parts of the property that we hunt. Mm -hmm. And when we were talking about all that, he was, one of them was saying like, man, like if we don't, if we don't do something talking about the bean fields and, you know, extra work days and everything, he's like, we don't do something. I might, I don't know if I'm going to join up next year. And I was like, well, that that helps my decision. Like you know, I like the guy because I he I ended up running into him a little bit more and learning more about him. And he's a good hunter. Like he's a ve- he's a very legitimate hunter. Like I kind of underestimated him at the beginning of the season because first of all he was all over my freaking trail cameras, <laughs> but second of all like just talking to him like he knows what he's talking about. So, but if he if he gets out, then that part of the property then we'll we'll have it all to ourselves. So then I'm like okay. Anyways, yeah. Uh, TBD, TBD, what we're going to do. But uh, I think I might, I don't know, man. Oh, that's a good point. It's a really good point about, you know, just getting in a club with higher pressure. If, 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 dude, if you get out, I'm, I'm going talking to the president and be like, will y'all just do a turkey lease? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm like, you know, I, I'm a deer hunt, but like, I just want to go turkey hunt, to be yeah, honest. That's a pretty good turkey problem. Yeah, I know. I'll tell you what, we were at me and Tiffany hunting on the last day, 
And that morning, the sun kind of started coming up, and um, frogs were croaking down in the creek. Birds started chirping right there at daylight. I kind of like perked up a little bit, and I'm like, listen, I'm listening hard. Get, get tuned up. Yeah. Get satellite dishes going. I, I, was, I was a little surprised I didn't hear a gobble. Not going to lie. Yeah. But anyways, let's get this uh, Q&A's. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so appreciate everybody writing all the Q&A's. Again, there's a link down in the show notes and show description down below. You can go click the link and then submit your questions to be answered on these uh, Thursday outro slash breakdown episodes. Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spurmaster and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spurmaster call and Success Call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com. Use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And, uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with mike and sam we were all super impressed i mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option same chokes i have in my shotgun so guys if you want to give true lock a shot this spring you can head over to truelockchokes.com that's t-r-u L-O-C-K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code Southern at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give TrueLock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun and shoot with a more deadly pattern with TrueLock. All right, this is uh, David Golan from Alabama. Who is Alan and Kyle? I picked, I knew we were going to talk about Oh, that's about hilarious. That. Uh, and, ha- and do you have their contact info about getting them out to our hunting property to help us uh, make it the best that it could be? It's Timberland, and we have a long-standing lease, and we can do and make changes as long as we don't cut the pines. Thank you in advance. Yeah, so you can find Alan Summerford and Kyle Liebarger on social media, first off. If you're on Facebook, just look up Alan Summerford, um, or you can look up Kyle Liebarger. Uh, also, you can go to the Native Habitat Project on social media and reach out to them directly through there. Um, that is where you can get contact information both for Kyle and Alan, uh, both through the Native Habitat Project. Um, and I, I don't know what their website is. I guess it's nativehabitatproject.com. Uh, yeah, I believe so. I'm trying to remember when exactly we had them on last, uh, when they were at Anthony's place. Yeah, you can search their name. Oh, I know, but they've been on a bunch of podcasts, so I'm... Uh, 
But also, I believe Alan works with Land and Legacy. They're another uh, group that does uh, Habitat consults. And uh, Alan would be a great guy to have out. Both of them would be. But, like, Alan, he's kind of specializes. He lives here, and he kills a bunch of really big, nice bucks uh, here in Alabama. And so he's going to be able to help you with your – okay, here we go. Uh, big, back, big Buck Habitat with Kyle Lieberger. Uh, that was episode 478. So I would, I'd recommend going and, uh, listening to that one. And then episode 476, uh, chasing Southern giants with Alan Summerford. That's another really, really good one to go listen to. And, uh, in those episodes, we go over their contact info in a little bit more detail. I think I might give out their email address or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so go check those out and, uh, and you can hit them up, you know, where Jacob said, find them on social media, native habitat project. Um, pretty easy to find. Get them out. Get some advice. Uh, if you yep. do that, I'd be curious for you to ride in and, and tell me how it goes. Yeah, they came out to uh, Anthony's farm, uh, the family farm, <clears throat> this past summer, and it was awesome. I mean, they, first off, they were blown away, with the, uh, blown away with the property from like a just a habitat standpoint mm-hmm. and like what Anthony had done. And that was before we had actually burned the property. Um, and Anthony's actually, we're trying to figure out, he wants to do a dormant season fire <coughs> on a different section. Uh, coming up here in the next couple Dude, weeks. He needs to tell me when he's doing that because I want to come and film it with my drone. Well, we're trying to we're trying to figure it out. Okay. So I was I was talking to him keep about keep me posted. It. Yep. Keep me posted. All right. Next up, Lane Dillard from Alabama. Howdy from the worst deer hunting area in the nation, Geneva County, Alabama. <laughs> coming in hot. Um, I'm 29 years old and I've been hunting since I was old enough to fetch doves and carry a Ford. I think he meant to say 410. Uh, he said 420. Um, I started deer hunting when I was around six or seven. We lost the only lease we ever had when I was 13. And after that, we ran dogs until I was 17. And then the price of the club got too high. And that time I'd seen a total of a dozen and a half deer. I didn't kill my first deer until I was 25. Since then, I've only killed three. This year has been the best, uh, I've ever had with three encounters with five deer, but haven't been able to seal the deal. One of uh, the areas I hunt, to my knowledge, a deer has never been killed on the property in the 100 years it's been in the family, and the other has had three harvested in 113 years, so needless to say, the area is difficult to hunt. That's it. Real quick, before I keep going, what's your take on that? Killed Uh, legally on the property? Yeah, I'd love to know how those records are being kept. but That's uh, that's interesting. Because the thing is, I've I've heard good things about Geneva County. I have too. I've seen some big deer come out of that county. Uh, one of them, I'm beginning to put things together on, uh, but the other one is about to drive me crazy. Um, I have a very, very nice buck that years of squirrel hunting and camera experience has it to where I know his whole where his whole life happens, but I can't seem to connect with him. The terrain is fairly severe, <clears throat> and the creek that runs through has canyon walls that are 12 to 20 foot deep in most places, even though the creek is six foot across and about a foot deep in the deepest spot. I know... Where the only crossing on the property is, I know multiple places where the creek bank and pasture or a gully bottleneck the woods to less than 15 yards. There are trails that can be seen from Google Maps in these areas, and I can't get on the deer I have pictures of and patterns of uh, using them. Um, And he hadn't had any luck doing that. Um, He uses the same day bed and a down tree covered in greenbrier religiously. It lays in the perfect thermal spot where if I want to set up in the saddle, he smells me, and if I want to approach from the other side, he hears me. Uh, I'm about to pull my (laughs) hair out over this deer. 
Would y'all possibly have any idea of what I can do differently? I grew up hunting a greenfield or over dogs, so this hunting sign, this is way out of my wheelhouse. Okay, so that that there's a lot there. Um, the so, so, the so, canyon wall thing is really interesting. So especially when you get below the fall line, at least in Alabama, the fall line is where it changes from like more rocky stuff to more sandy. Basically, you get below the fall line, like you get the black belt, that fertile soil mm-hmm. that we've been talking about. And uh, it's just, it's a much different uh, kind of habitat. And in a lot of places, those those creeks have like eroded through the years. Some of it was from like farming practices back in the day uh, where it's like a creek that's, you know, as wide as this table. I mean, just really like not a big creek at all, like three feet across maybe. Uh, but it's like eroded 12 feet down. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could fall off the edge and like hurt yourself in these things. Um the, the benefit to that is, like he said, there's, uh, there's like that creates pretty hard pinch points. Like, well, I've hunted some places like that, and you can, you can almost use it the same as like we talk about bluff walls in hill country. You can use these creeks kind of the same way. Like, there's only specific spots they're going to cross that thing. So, treat it like a bluff because, really, in essence, it kind of is a bluff. It's not a rock face, but it's like a cliff, essentially. But he's, he's referencing a specific deer that, that he knows lives there and he can't he can't access it and he hadn't had any luck hunting it. So like, what's your take on it? I mean, if he, if you have that much experience with a specific deer where like you you think that you have him pinned down to like a very specific area that he's bedding in, uh, I, I, I'm curious on what he's done with trail cameras in addition to this mm-hmm. of like daylight images of this deer and also figuring out his entrance and exit to like this area that he's like bedding down in, whether he's truly using like a specific bed underneath a tree or just that general area. Uh, because I I feel like if you can, if you can catch him coming from the same direction, like multiple times going to the bed where you have a a pretty good entrance route to it, Mm -hmm. that's one of those things you kind of go, uh, uh, Glenn Solomon on and you get in there two, three hours before daylight yeah. You know, coming from the opposite direction that deer's, you know, typically coming in from and try to catch him actually coming back into that bed or, or milling around that bed later in the morning. But like I think you only got one shot at that, maybe two, yeah. because you screw it up, you know, he busts you in the dark or something like that, you know, you're, you're out. But also, the, I mean, the way you're describing it, there's deer trails everywhere, but it sounds like there's just low deer numbers uh, or lower deer numbers. But I, I'm also curious, and, and there, he doesn't specify. Is he using bait? Is he hunting around bait a whole bunch? Yeah. And like, is, is that something that the deer coming accustomed to where like, they're just like staying out of those areas. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious how much more deer he gets on camera. Cause he talks a little about kind of the scouting stuff. If he's using trail cameras, how many more deer he gets on camera yeah. versus actually seeing the woods. Cause it's like, if you get deer all over your cameras and you go in, they don't see anything. We talked about this like last week or two weeks ago. They either hear you, smell you or seen you yep. or any combination of those three. And if, again, if you're seeing quite a few deer on camera, you're going in there, you're not seeing anything, something, one of those three is happening, if not more than just one of them. And uh, that could be, you know, just severely hurting you, especially if you only have one inc- uh, one entrance point from that property. And, you know, based off wind and everything, it just makes it, you know, kind of tough, tough to get in there and, and hunt the property. The other thing I'll say is, you know, you say he uses the same day bed, but you can't approach without him smelling you. Um just I like again I don't have enough here to like know exactly what how you're thinking but the way that you phrase that kind of makes me think that like this maybe this is a bed where you're you're saying like he uses it with you know this wind like he's in this bed like for this wind or whatever because uh 
you know, with the wind direction varying, there should be a wind that you can hunt that area and not have it blow to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether, I mean, because the wind is going to change. Like, if if it's a north wind and you can't get in there with a the north wind because it's going to blow him out, well, why, why won't a south wind work? Because we've talked about this a good bit. Some people say that, you know, maybe he only uses that bed on a certain wind, like p- wind-based bedding. And I, like I've said on here, like, I really don't believe in that, especially especially in South Alabama. I just, I really don't think that's the case uh, most of the time. So if, I'm just throwing this out there, if you're assuming that he's only using that bed on a certain wind, I would, I would maybe throw that out the window and see where it get, see where it gets you. Um, maybe, maybe just go in there on like the opposite wind of what you think. Maybe a good wind for you, a bad wind for him, you know, and and not give him the wind per se, because you might you might think that how this sets up. Okay, here's this big uh, top, you know, that's fallen over and it's all grown up, and he's bedded in this you know big fallen tree, and the bed is facing south, so he must only be bedding here with the north wind, with the wind coming over his back. And so, but you can't access it with that because it sets up so perfectly. I think I think you're giving the deer too much credit if that's what you're thinking. I think that you should you should go in there with like a south wind and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I don't know if that is the case, but I just wanted to throw it out there as food for thought. Where uh, you know you might you might be like projecting stuff onto what you think the deer is doing, but he might not actually be doing. Uh, so just keep that in mind as well. Um, but yeah, I'd I'd love to get another. You know, this was written in during deer season. So, Lane, I'd love to get, like, a follow-up from you and see exactly how the season ended up going. Did you end up killing him? Did you end up learning anything else? Like, get an update, and we'll read it on the show. Uh, I'd love to hear that. Um, But you got anything else before Mm -hmm. we move on? Nope. All right. This is a quick one. Um, This is from Walt from North Carolina. He said, here in North Carolina, every year since 81, there's been the first weekend of March. We have the Dixie Deer Classic in Raleigh. We'd love to meet y'all and talk with y'all and hopefully could get introduced some, to some uh, big buck killers. Um, basically, he's asking us if uh, we would uh, go to that show or if we are going to that show. He said, appreciate y'all's passion and dedication to helping all of us learn and be successful with southern deer hunting and woodsmanship. So I appreciate that. Uh, we are not going to the Dixie Deer Classic this year, but... Uh, it's on our radar for sure. Um, we hopefully we'll be able to make it up there. Maybe next year. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Yeah, it's I've it's heard, a crazy time of year. I've man. heard I've heard really good things about that show though. Yeah, like, me too. It's a fun show. We got buddies who will have booths there. Uh, so you know, it seems like from a consumer standpoint, if you're anywhere within a couple hour drive of Raleigh. Um, you should go make yeah make the drive yeah right now we're for sure going to be at the nwtf convention in nashville which is this coming weekend mm-hmm. uh we're going to be at the eco wild expo in mobile alabama in may that's may 10th through the 12th uh we're going to be at the mobile hunters expo in dalton georgia and you might be at some of the other ones as mm-hmm. well if you decide to go to those uh, what's the dates on that i think it's like a july is it in june or july i think it's like, june 18th Okay, June eighteenth, uh, and then the Birmingham World Deer Expo at the BJCC here in Birmingham will be there. Um, that was crazy last year. Yeah, appreciate it was. everybody that came out for that show because it was awesome. Yeah, and so we're gonna be at that one. It's uh, July, like the nineteenth that weekend. Yep. So, so yeah, we'll be there the whole time for that one. We got a booth. We'll uh, uh, give y'all some more details on that one later. Uh, all right, this is this is our last one. Uh, this is from Chase Armstrong from Alabama. Uh, he actually just wrote this one in, but I just I was really like kind of curious to answer it on the podcast, so I just went ahead and threw it in here. Um, hey guys, I I love your YouTube channel and have and I appreciate everything you do. A question I have is, 
what is the obsession with killing the biggest buck ever? I've hunted for a long time now and always aim to shoot bucks two to three years and older. However, it seems like it's getting harder and harder to find clubs and even WMAs that allow you to harvest a buck unless it's a trophy deer. To me, this is not good for hunting nor the actual deer herd. Don't get me wrong, I want to have big bucks in Alabama, but I also enjoy eating the deer meat. Is trophy hunting good for a deer population? It seems uh, like only taking the largest bucks would be bad for the herd. What are your thoughts? Thank you. This is a very interesting subject, in my opinion, because there's people. There are pe- people that argue that, uh, like antler point restrictions, create like bad genetics. Possibly, I don't. I don't necessarily believe this, but like, if you only shoot eight point or better outside of the ears, then the the logic is you're killing all of the deer that are eight point or better and outside the ears. So all the scraggly six, five, and four points. Uh, live to see another day so they're proliferating their genes oh, yeah yeah and and so people will say like there's we we know of places like this public land places that are like strict uh nine point or better in one place in the past yeah and so you'd have like giant six points running around like or, or freaking like, seven-year-old six points and you yeah. they're not legal or like and a guy i'd met at a hunting camp early this fall he hunts a, some public um in the state in alabama and it is four points or better and he's like dude He's like, I've been hunting there for 30 years. And he's like, he's like, every now and then you see like a decent six point. Now there are gigantic six points, like six yeah. points that like people, like you would like just massive giant six points that like are illegal to kill. And they're very, very strict there on antler point restrictions. It, mm. Even if you killed it and it was mature, you're going to get fined for it and uh, or get in, just get in trouble for it, which I don't think is necessarily right. But uh, he's like, now there's a lot of those kind of deer around there. Uh-huh. So I, I think that is really interesting, especially when you start seeing properties. Um, a lot of times, at least in Alabama, I know there may be, I mean, I know other states do it a little bit differently, but in Alabama, it's typically like three points are better on one side, four points are better on one side, something like that. And, you know, I don't have any issues with that, but when you start making stuff where it's got to be like eight point or better, yeah, I'm like, I, I think you start getting into like a, a big gray area. Um, yeah. With like what, like what you're talking about, like you're allowing deer that maybe would never make that kind of qualification uh, antler restriction wise and you're letting those deer live. But the thing is, let me tell you something about genetics. The bucks are not the only ones that pass genetics, by the way. Yes. Okay. It's both from the bucks and the does. So I hear people talk about it all the time, like, man, you got, you know, you kill your cold bucks, kill, you know, all, all this yeah. kind of stuff. That was, I'm, I'm, I feel like that was way bigger when we were kids, though. I still the hear, cold buck I thing. still hear people. I had somebody, I, I had somebody recently tell me, man, I killed me a cold buck this weekend. I'm like, a cold buck, and you look at it, it's a two and a half year old deer that's got it jacked up one side, and we talked to um, Jason uh, or. Uh, 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 Jonathan Holsenback, okay? Yep. Who, he's killed some big deer on public land on his hunting club, and also he's a deer breeder. And he was, I think he was the one telling us, he's like, a lot of these one-and-a-half-year-old bucks that really get their first, like, set of rack antlers, when they go to shed them, you know, he's like, he's like, based off my observation, he's like, I don't know the scientific backing of this, but he's like, it seems like it 
starts irritating them when they're almost ready to fall, but they're not quite ready. Yep. So they start like dragging their antlers on the fence and stuff like that, and they damage their pedicle because they rip them out instead yep. of letting them fall off. And then that next year, you're going to have some wonky side because he broke his pedicle. Yeah, he's a he's a beautiful four point on one side, and he's a spiker, and a spike on the other. Yeah, and he's like he's like I've seen that with my own deer, and he's like that's why you know a lot of my deer I don't let them keep their antlers. Like I go out there and cut them off. Yeah. Not only just from the fighting aspect, but it's like if they destroy a pedicle. That hurts me on the value of that deer going to that next year. That was that was yeah that was super fascinating. Listen to him talk about that because that's not not something I ever considered. Because especially in our area, it seems like uh, the the places that we hunt. Not talking about like the deer that he's raising, but the places that we hunt. There you have a lot of those deer that are like a spike. They're like a great you know one side is fantastic. If he was symmetrical. He would be like a huge buck, mm-hmm. but he's got a spike on one side, and the, and that's the case he made. It was I've never heard that. That's super interesting. Yeah, and it, so that could be a point. It could be like some people talk about the nutrition aspect. Yeah, that maybe could be a point. I'd love to have a biologist on and again talk more details about this. But also, in addition to all of this, um, when it comes to like if someone says like genetic, like I remember, so uh, my uncles, both Anthony and then his brother Michael had a lease and it wasn't, it was one down there around pineapple, Alabama, but it was a different one from what I've told stories about. And they're like, that property was covered in bucks that had that funky, one funky side and one good side. Yeah. And you know, they were, they kind of just chalked it to genetics. And again, I'd be curious to talk to a biologist, like how common is it actually like some kind of trait pops out where you have like a really, like you just have a, a big spike on one side, a big, you know, split two point side or whatever. Um, versus like some kind of injury. Yeah. And uh, those places where they were having all these funky deer is also a place that has high deer numbers. And it makes you wonder also like the competition aspect. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I would say high deer numbers, not just buck to does, but like a lot of bucks are down there. Mm-hmm. And are they just sparring to the point that they're injuring each other somehow, injuring a pedicle? And then you have a lot of these lopsided, freaky looking bucks. Um, but I don't know. So the thing is like with Chase and like your point here, I, I tell people, shoot whatever you want to shoot. If it's legal, have fun with it. But the state, from a state's standpoint, especially on a lot of these public lands, they want to try to provide you know, a, a quality deer. Now, a one-and-a-half-year-old buck could be a legal buck in a lot of these places. Yeah. If it's three points or better, you could have a one-and-a-half-year-old buck that's you know a little five-point or a little six-point, something like that. And a lot of the, and deer like that get killed all the time. Same thing with the two-year-old. So when you're talking about like you, you like to shoot you know, you know, two to three years or older bucks – you know, the bucks that you're trying to kill would still be legal to kill on pretty much all the WMAs that I'm aware of. There might be, mm-hmm. there's a couple maybe that come out to me that, you know, I don't know how many one and a half, or, you know, two and a half year old, you know, eight points you're going to see. You know, definitely I've seen it before, but it always seems like you kind of go in that progression where they're like, you know, you get a, a weird kind of forky one and a half year old, two years old, he might be like a, yeah, six point five point. Then that next year, that third year is when they're kind of blowing up to maybe like an eight point or something like that. Um, so now, kind of going back to like damaging herd uh, quality um, and like this, the overall like um, deer population. They've done studies, and we've talked about some podcasts before. A lot of people think that only mature bucks are the ones breeding does. Yeah, and it's not the case. Actually, y'all can't see it behind us, but behind the cameras, we actually have a diagram here that has you know age class of uh, one and a half year old bucks all the way to six and six and a half plus year old bucks uh, from Ryan Kirby, and it's one of his um, uh, canvas or one of his uh, drawings that he does, and it actually has stats on there talking about like the percentage of bucks at different age ranges that breed deer. And again, there are quite a few does that yeah. get bred by one and a half year old or two and a half year old bucks. And the thing is, I don't know. 
again, if the genetics are the same, whether he's one and a half or six and a half, his genetics are still the same. Genetic yeah. traits don't tr- so don't trade or don't swap around or anything. So if that one and a half year old buck who's a fork breeds a doe, but when he gets the if he makes it a five years old, he's a hundred and forty inch deer. It doesn't matter when he bred that doe. Yeah, it's the same genetics. That's that's what I was thinking about that subject too. When people are saying like, "Oh, where you're killing out your your good deer," I'm like, "Well, if you're killing a five and a half year old deer, you're killing your breeder bucks." Yeah, he he's been breeding does for five years. Like, what are you talking or, about? I guess yeah, not four. four years. Yeah. Um, and you know maybe he didn't. I don't know. Maybe he didn't breed as many as a spike or whatever. But you know he's had years to breed. By the yeah. time you're shooting this big giant mature buck. And also, if, you know, that, like, QDMA put out, or NDA now, uh, a couple years ago, they put out something on coal bucks, and they were, Mm. like, calling deer is, like, spitting in the ocean. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's not doing anything. So, to me, if, if, if that's true, and by that same logic, you, you think you're gonna, like, shoot your big bucks and alter your genetics, well, if that is the case, then... The coal buck thing isn't bullcrap. Then, so so I don't think shooting a coal buck does anything. Like I don't I yeah. don't think it matters. So by that same token, that would also mean that shooting an older buck is not going to negatively affect your genetics. Just as shooting a young scraggly buck isn't going to affect your genetics. Well, okay, and it's okay. Yeah, I agree. And the thing is, I don't know. I, I think there's like a pre-assumed uh, thought process that the bucks are the ones that give their offsprings the characteristics of their antlers yeah and it, again like we said it's 50 50 okay it comes from the nose so but it's you see and where i'm going to get with this is some of the most expensive if you looked at like deer farmers and stuff like the guys that raise deer for preserves or whatever oh, this is a good point some of the most expensive deer might be a doe who's mm-hmm. produced some unbelievable offsprings because she has the right genetic traits to throw 300 inch deer or whatever the heck they're you know they're trying to breed for so, you know, the doe genetics and the health is as important as the buck's health and, you know, genetics as well when it comes to, you know, making, if you're trying to get bigger bucks and offspring, you got to have healthy does that have the right genetics. Now, also, there's a study, and I can't remember how we came upon the study, but we talked about it before, it might have been last year, but where I can't remember, I think it was Mississippi State did a study where they took deer out of the delta yes. of Mississippi, which mm-hmm. is super fertile soil. It's where all the ag is. Is where guys kill 170-inch deer every year, giant deer. They took, uh, I think it was does, or but I can't remember. What, anyways, they took deer from there, and they took deer from poor quality poor soil. Quality soil okay? yep. Brought them into pens, kept them separated, but they all get the same food and everything, and they let them breed. In the very first year of offsprings, they were like what you expect. Like the Delta deer were bigger than the uh, the less quality soil region. But I think it took was it four or five generations? I think it might. I think it was three generations. Okay, so three generations later, with the same quality food source, everything's low stress. The whole nine yards again, quality food source. They closer resembled each other. Those yeah. offspring from that, that third generation. Yeah, they, they caught up. They caught up. Like again, like the poor quality soil deer caught up with the higher quality soil deer where they come from. And what the study was kind of talking about is like the health of the doe. And Alan, actually, Alan Summerford brought this up. I think in one of the episodes that we did, the one where uh, Kyle was on there and Anthony down at the farm. Yeah. Where it's like if you can have super healthy does, low stress on the does, and when we say low stress, like stress not necessarily from hunting, but food, like social stress, like not too many deer where they're like really fighting over food and all that kind of stuff. Low stress deer, they're going to produce higher quality offspring from like a um, uh, 
not a genetic standpoint, but from a health standpoint, like the deer is going to be further along, um, you know, health wise. And then also the doe while they're nursing is going to have higher quality, you know, she's going to have more fat on her higher quality milk and everything. So that deer is going to be slightly further along because it's had better nutrition from its, from its mother. That's then it's going to kind of characteristic, uh, jumped over to the, the offspring. And that's been fascinating. So like, to me, that study is something that kind of showcased like high quality food sources. And again, not having a ton of deer running around will help you have bigger bucks. And that's something that when we talked to uh, both um, uh, Matt and Adam from uh, Land and Legacy, talking about uh, some of the areas that produce some of the biggest bucks across the country are in areas where there's lower deer numbers. It, yeah. It's not super, you know, there, there's high quality food source, but there's lower deer numbers, low, lower social stress. And those are areas that throw bigger deer. And it's not necessarily the food source quality. It's just that they're less stressed out. It's that they're producing a heavy, or a stronger offspring. And then also, you know, they've got the, the herd numbers to be able to kind of do what it needs to do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the last thing I'll say about it is just from like a hunter satisfaction standpoint, I'm a little bit torn. Like I get where he's coming from, where it seems like the more and more places you go, the more you have to deal with antler point restrictions. Restrictions. Mm-hmm. And we used to hunt, uh, I grew up hunting this one WMA, and there was never antler point restrictions on it. And uh, and then over the years, they ended up adding it. And when they added yeah. antler point restrictions, we were, me and Zach and everyone, we were mad. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were like really upset about it. And uh, fast forward a couple years, we started seeing more big bucks, yeah. you know. Now, looking back, I don't know if that's because we just got better at hunting because we were like teenagers at the time. And, uh, you know, we just got better and, and put ourselves in more positions to see those bigger deer or if it was the antler point restrictions. It's probably a little bit of both. Um, so, like, that was kind of a positive experience with them. But at the same time, like, I definitely understand the frustration of, like, if you just want to go out and shoot something, you know, like you don't want to deal with antler point restrictions, I get that. And so that's why, like, from a statewide level, I'd be – I, I would be like very opposed to a statewide antler restriction like they do in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. because I just I don't think that the government should come in and like tell everybody everywhere on every property what you're allowed to shoot as far as bucks go. I, I think it's better to have like a diversity of stuff where, you know, this WMA has an antler point restriction. This SOA has a really tight antler point restriction. Yeah, yeah. you think this is bad what you're talking about? You ought to go hunt some of these SOAs. 100%. <laughs> God. And, but it pays off. Yeah. Now, would I want to go hunt an SOA like that? Would, would I want that antler point restriction to be everywhere? No. Because then if, I, if I'm taking Mike, if I'm taking Tiffany, Sam, Blakely, any of these newer hunters who are trying to get set up, I'm not going to sit there and and let a bunch of good deer walk past them that they would be ecstatic to shoot just just so somebody else has a better chance at a bigger buck. Like uh, that I'm I'm very against that. But that's why it's good to have options, you know. It's good to have, you know, that you don't like the antler point restrictions on this WMA? Go to this one that doesn't have them. Go to that national forest yeah. over there that doesn't have them. Or you don't like the antler point restrictions in this club? Go join a different one, but that should be up to the people, not not the DCNR, in my opinion. Well, if you look, so I'm I'm a little bit different. I'm one of those guys. I don't know. It, I don't know. It's it's and the whole antler point restriction is interesting. But I'll say this: if you look at the harvest data, you know, from people that uh, just using Alabama for example, because we have the most experience here in Alabama. If you look at like the harvest records, there, especially like on WMAs of how many deer are like getting killed. Now, part of it's antler point restrictions. I don't know how much details. I know, like, you check and you kill deer at the hunting club. You still, mm-hmm. when you plug your thing, you got to put how many 
you know, points ahead on the left side, right side, all that kind of stuff. Yep. But I saw some data from maybe a year or two ago where it was like a super small percent of the deer getting killed were like one and a half year old bucks. Most of the yeah. bucks getting killed are like two and a half. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so if that's already the case, I think more people are putting it on themselves like, I don't want to shoot a one and a half year old deer. I'll just shoot a nice rack buck, you know, mm-hmm. pretty rack buck. Might be a two year old, might be a three year old, who knows? But I don't want to shoot that fork and horn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, or I'll throw my brother on the bus. Shoot the prettiest, smallest eight point I've ever seen ever. <laughs> and it came from Arkansas like eight years ago. I'm talking about when you bring that little rack in here, dude, that thing it looks like a crown. It is like <laughs> this big, like one and a half year old eight point. Deer looks didn't like weigh, a crown. Deer, deer didn't weigh a hundred pounds barely. And I'm talking about, I'm like, I would have loved to see what that deer looked like at four or five. Oh my God. But, but again, you know, kind of do what you want with it. But I'll say this, when it comes to like hunting, you can it, you can find places whether you're hunting public land or private land that don't have as strict of antler point restrictions. Also, what's your thought on this? Someone is like, man, I don't really like antler point restrictions, and you hear this a whole bunch. Okay, well, why don't you go shoot a doe? Oh, I got something to say about that. Well, so whether it be hunting clubs or WMAs, they're like, well, why don't you just go shoot a doe? Well, okay, on a if let's say you're a rifle hunter, a mm-hmm. lot of guys in the south are rifle hunters. On a lot of WMAs, you get like two days you can shoot a doe. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of one in, uh, specifically. Yeah. But a, a lot of the places you go, you have very limited doe days. It's like, okay, yeah, maybe there's like eight gun hunts throughout the year, mm-hmm. and two of them you can shoot does. Yeah. So two of them are hunter's choice either sex. So, like, don't give me that because now you're saying that people can't, uh, they can't shoot does the vast majority of, of the gun hunts. And they can't shoot a freaking fork horn or a spike if they don't want to. Like, look, I get it. I get the antler point thing. But it's like, okay, if you're thinking of the guy who is like, he only gets to go hunt when his kids are out of school on Thanksgiving break and they get to go out. Well, now all of a sudden you've restricted it so much that the chances that he's going to see like a nice buck are so low that what's even the fun in going out? Like, I know a lot of guys who get discouraged like that, like, we we focus so much on wanting to shoot big bucks, and that's like what this show is mostly about is talking to people who are good at killing big bucks. But like sometimes you just don't want to go and and go through all that and try to kill like a five and a half year old dude. Sometimes you just want to go shoot one for the freezer, and mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that, especially in a place like Alabama where we have so many freaking deer. Yeah. So like that's why on a large scale I'm I'm against. Now, it. What about take publicly out of the equation hunting clubs? Hunting clubs, same thing. In my hunting club, they're trying to make it against the rules to shoot does on food plots. So uh, there again, okay? So now we've got got one guy in the club who's 78 years old, and he's shot a couple deer on food plots. And there's people in the club who are mad about it. I'm like, y'all get off him. He's 78. Like, my Mm. God, Mm. you're going to tell this guy he can't go shoot a doe on a food plot? He showed up to the work day Mm -hmm. in his late 70s. He paid his dues, showed up to the work day, and you're going to get mad at him for hammering a doe on a food plot? Yeah. Come on. Like and there's a lot of clubs that are like that, but again, if that's the kind of club you want to be in, mm-hmm. then go join a club like that. Yeah, yeah. Or go start your own club like that. Go find a lease and start a club. Uh, but don't impose it on everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just that's I'm a I'm like I'm very libertarian when it comes to deer hunting. I'm like, dude, like everyone just get out of everybody's business. Yeah, you know. And, and so, so that's something, especially as we're getting into this time of the year, after turkey season is when a lot of these hunting cl- if you're looking to join a hunting club, that's when you're going to be start searching. After hunting season, starting getting to May and June, kind of like trying to find a club to get into. 
So you need to take all that consideration. Like, are you trying to join a club just to be able to shoot a bunch of deer? Do you want to shoot, you know, a handful of does and a couple bucks? You need to be asking the right questions and figure out, like, because some hunting clubs, I've heard of some, never been in one, but like, where state buck limit's three bucks, but you can only kill two bucks in the hunting club. Yeah. Or one buck in the hunting club. Or you can only shoot a doe, like, in the last week of season, or, or you can only shoot a doe until a certain day. Yeah. So you need to ask those questions of, like, what do they regulate on buck harvest on mm-hmm. the hunting club? Do they have an antler point restriction? It's pretty common. Most hunting clubs are going to have some kind of antler point restrictions, typically three on one side. Um, you might find some that don't have any antler point restrictions. And then also, if you're wanting to shoot does and be able to fill a freezer, asking what is y'all's regulations, or not really regulate rules on hunting does, shooting does, especially during gun season especially if you're not a big bow hunter and you know, can you shoot them on food plots? You know, if you, you know, hunt with bait, you know, if it's a piece of property or it's a piece of private, you can hunt over bait. Do they allow you to hunt over bait or is it more just an attractant and you got to hunt the general area? Like you need to ask some of those questions and figure out what's the best option for you and what actually fits for what you're trying to do. Yeah. And I'll tell you how this is something I brought this up to Sam. Do you want to be in a club where you see a ton of deer Okay, mm-hmm. like and I'm giving Alabama's example. Do you want to be in a county where the club has a absolute ton of deer, where you sit on a food plot and see 40 deer in the evening, or do you want to be in an area maybe a little bit closer to the house, and there's not nearly as many deer there, and you might go six or seven hunts not seeing anything, especially if you're like you don't really have a good pin on what the deer are doing. Yeah. Um. You know, you need to take that consideration. Like, are you willing to drive a couple hours or more to go to a place that maybe it's higher? odds of just shooting something just yeah. to shoot something mm-hmm. or do you want the convenience of being a little bit close to the house Cause i brought that up to sam i'm like dude if y'all go if y'all drove an hour and a half south it'd be a different game as in like mm-hmm. just deer numbers yeah um but like if you want to say something close to the house where it's easy to get to it's kind of like it, it's hard to get at least where we live it's hard to get like get a place that's super close to the house that has really high deer numbers that has like a nice buck to doe ratio. Like you don't, it's it's hard. It's yeah. hard to find something like that. Yeah, that's that's very true. That's very true. Also, I mean, again, I keep referencing those guys in my club because, like, again, I just talk to them a bunch, and it's like the the reason they got every reason in the book that they're not seeing big bucks, except for the way that they're hunting. Mm-hmm. So it's it's because they're shooting does on food plots. It's because people are shooting too many young bucks. It's because we don't have bean fields. It's because of this. It's Can't because run of that. corn. Yeah. Yes, it's everything. And the same guy, I was out there one day, me and him were kind of hunting around each other. I saw, I know I know exactly where he went to go hunt, and I saw how he walked in. And he he parked in front of the bedding area. He, par- he parked right next to where these bucks bed, walked past them with the wind at his back, climbed a tree and faced the opposite direction where the deer come from. And I only know that because I run cameras in there and I'm, I'm really familiar. This is where we're getting all the daylight pictures. Mm-hmm. But, and I knew the wind that day I was out there at the same time and he's hunting with the wind straight up at his back, you know, with how he was facing in that stand. And so that just goes to show like that guy can get all fired up and want, let's say he wanted to put eight pointer better on our club. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Well, there's, there's plenty of, there's plenty of big bucks out there. You're just not hunting them right, mm-hmm. you know, and just and just because the guy is shooting, you know, some other guy in the club is is shooting uh, some does on food plots, does not. That's not the reason that there's no big bucks. Mm-hmm. There are big bucks. You're just not seeing them because you're not doing things right, yeah. you know. So uh, I always think about it kind of through that lens also that that 
a little bit of the people who are like real set. Like you see people who were like, well, if if we went to a, if we were a one buck state, I'd probably kill more big deer or whatever. I'm like, you're that kind of guy, dude. Like, I he's first of all, he's probably right. If we went to one buck a one buck state, we'd probably have, see an increase in, in antler size. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, you're you're the kind of guy who it's everybody's fault except yourself. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like, you, if you don't like what you got, then freaking change it. Quit whining about everybody else. Me, I mean, my God. Me, Pike, and Shane had a conversation like that. Topic came up uh, while we were doing Talon's podcast, mm-hmm. and Shane's like, absolutely not. <laughs> he, 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 he's, he's like, he's, he said pretty much said what you're doing. He, he, what you said is like, if you're struggling to find big deer, like, yeah, like I kind of go back to Richard fought. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to kill 140 inch deer in a County that like, there's only been one ever documented being killed. You're probably not going to kill 140 inch yes. deer in a place like that. 100%. Okay. If you want to kill a deer like that, you ought to look at the map and figure out where are more of those quality deer coming out of public and private and then go find a hunting club there or find a lease or find some public there. Um, and that's what, he told uh, Clifton Denny, and that's what Clifton did. Clifton's like, I want you Pope and Young Bucks. Well, he, mm-hmm. Clifton said he was living in a county in Arkansas. Wasn't many Pope and Young Bucks ever getting killed, never even seen one. Yep. He drove a couple hours in a different direction, and there you have it. You know, kills yes. two. Yeah, exactly. That's such a good point. So it's like, okay, I, I live in a terrible county in Alabama to, to kill, you know, 140-inch deer. So rather than drive an hour and a half to a better place, I'm going to advocate for a statewide law change to make it easier for me where I live and completely alter how the entire state hunts deer. Well, the problem, and also they might not have the soil quality and the nutrition, hundred yeah, percent, on that place because if they're not managing and it's just a pine stand, mm-hmm. well, you're not going to have any big deer because there's not enough food for them yes. other than food plots and corn piles, and that's not enough for them. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and it's especially like with body and all that kind of stuff. It, it always seems like you get in those areas where there a lot of big deer are coming out of. If you start looking at it on aerial imagery, there's a reasoning why. You have yeah. a lot of logging going on. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of open ground. You have a lot of like just natural browse. Kind of get back to that earlier conversation. And that's where those big deer are coming out of. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, we could go on and on about that. But, uh, but yeah, that's why, I, again, I'm just, I, I think the best thing to do is just to have, leave it up to people and people can do what they want. You know, go start a club and make it a trophy club. Go, go find a trophy club. Go hunt a WMA that has tighter restrictions. Go hunt one that doesn't have restrictions if you want to do that. You know, we, we intentionally seek out some places with some restrictions. Mm-hmm. Um, we intentionally seek out some with no restrictions. Uh, but anyways, we do both. All right, let's do some reviews now. These are on uh, Apple Podcasts. Appreciate everybody leaving us new reviews. <clears throat> um, this is from JK Reese 64 He said, Mom and Pop Joints left us five stars. He said, great episode. Really enjoyed listening about all the Mom and Pop Joints. The biscuit spot for me growing up was a gas station called Huckabee's. If you know, you know. Uh, heard y'all talking about Jack's, and we actually got one near me in a small town in Georgia. Oh, they're expanding. They're taking over, buddy. <laughs> all right, you get the second one. All right, cool. Uh, this is from uh, L.B. Frazier, uh, Calico Kitchen, five stars. You brought back some memories with the Calico Kitchen. Went there several times in the mid-90s. We called it the Pink Toenail. <laughs> a guy we hunted. Uh, Y'all want to go eat at the Pink Toenail? <laughs> yeah, I don't like that one bit. You better double-check that Woo. hamburger. Uh a guy we hunted with uh, called it that for some reason, so we all did too. Hunted about 10 miles from there. What was the burger joint across the road? Calico Kitchen. I don't know. I think it might be that place I mentioned earlier. Uh, well, I said it earlier in the podcast. You just have to rewind because I can't remember it now. But it's some What some town grill. is that? I don't, uh, maybe Brent 
Alabama. It's on Highway Five. Okay, yeah, which know. goes like way down through there. Gotcha. I think it's I think it's in Brent. Um. Anyways, I don't I don't actually know exactly where it is because when I was going there, I was in the back Car- seat of Mister Benny's truck. He was in the car seat, <laughs> <laughs> all buckled up I and was, snug tight. I was probably like fifteen or sixteen years old, and I uh, we'd been in the car for like three hours before daylight. And uh, I had no idea where on earth I was. <laughs> like, just do, do you remember? That's a whole segment. no recollection. Do, period. Do you remember? So, like, growing up, this is a whole segment we got to talk about. Growing up, it was like I go hunting with my uncles or whatever. We get in the truck and it's dark, and it's just like you don't know where you're going. Oh, like he's like, like, oh, we're going down to the hunting club. We're going, you know where? And it's like you're just driving in pitch black, and you're like you're past these towns, and you don't know where you're at. No, no and finally, finally, you zero pull, spatial awareness. Zero, and then you pull up at a gate. You're like, this is where we're hunting, and then you're walking in the dark. And then when you walk, you hunt all day. You come back out, it's dark, and you drive back home. I'm like, I don't know where I was at, <laughs> dude. I, that, I remember when that dawned on me one day. I'm like, wow, I've been like all over the place. Just n- absolute. I don't know what cardinal direction home is. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't even know at all. And for us, we'd get in the car at like you know two forty five, three a.m. Yeah, go, yeah. Like, go rabbit hunt down in like Dallas County or somewhere, and it would be coast to coast AM, <laughs> baby. Listening about Bigfoot and aliens, yes, yeah. dude. Okay, Gr- great seg, great segue. Freaking ghost paranormal. Dude, I'm telling you, okay, it, it's, it's with, it, uh, with old George North. Dude, it was like old school. No, not old school. It was like the original. Uh, uh, Sean, Sean Ryan, show. Sean Ryan. Show. Yeah, <laughs> we got a comment about the Sean Ryan. So, show. but but no. So, I, dude, one of my other uncles, I was hunting with him and had my cousin in the truck, and he had a single cab F one fifty. Okay, uh-huh. I always got to ride, you know, middle seat, which we all know what that seat's called. Okay, and um, <laughs> and you know, I, I was never comment below what that seat's called. Yeah, I, I'm, I was never a small kid. Okay, uh-huh. and my uncle was a big old boy, so I was like, big old boy, slightly smaller bigger old boy and then my skinny freaking lanky cousin and uh anyways dude we would drive up to like somewhere in north uh west alabama to go hunt like this big lease hunting club thing that he had you know he knew some guys from work and they'd let us come up and hunt and it was like we had to leave at 2 a.m to yep. get there okay oh, yeah. and it was nothing but coast to coast talk about chupacabras yes! like, i remember there's a certain stretch <laughs> of the highway i remember us coming down this hill and they were talking about chupacabras, and for the next forty-five minutes, we'd nothing. We, we talked about nothing but chupacabras the whole time. <laughs> That's chupacabra. And I was like, "Oh my god, dude!" But yes, yes. Sasquatch. The problem was when they started talking about Sasquatch on Bigfoot. I was like, "We got to turn this off." You know, I was like eleven oh, years old. You're on your way to the woods. <laughs> you're like, "I don't want to go get the tree stand." <laughs> or, dude, because you're like 11, 12 years old, and like you're hunting by yourself. At least I was hunting by myself at that point. <laughs> And then, like, you're sitting in the stand, and as it's getting dark, you're going back thinking about coast to coast. Like, oh, God. Oh, 100%. Oh, God. <laughs> 100%, dude. It was like it was like you're sitting there in the pitch black dark, and you're, like, waiting for the sound of the four-wheeler to come get you. <laughs> and you and you like you think you hear it in the distance. You're like, I'm safe. <laughs> and then, then, then it wasn't. It was like a truck on the highway. You're like, oh, oh God. God. Oh, my gosh. Oh. And you hear something, like, walking around in the woods. You're like, yeah, oh, dude, I'm telling you, man. Oh, childhood oh, dinner. Good, dude, we need to do a segment on that. That would be that's a fun subject. We yeah. could go down that rabbit oh, hole. Oh, coast to coast, but coast yeah. to coast, I am. <sighs> good times, good times. But yeah, so anyway, all right, let's wrap it up. All right, appreciate everybody listening. Appreciate y'all uh, watching. Appreciate everybody has also been again buying Southern Outdoors and merchandise, all the different hats and everything. Um, again, hopefully, we're gonna see you guys. Uh, really, it'd be next week uh, if I got my dates right at the Weaver Meat event. 
On Saturday the twenty fourth. Yeah. Yep. So yep. Saturday the twenty fourth, it's gonna be a great time. Weaver meet uh, second annual hunters meetup event in Hartsall, Alabama. Getting the show pages on the on our uh, Facebook page. Go to southernoutdoorsman.com or just go to Southern Outdoorsman on Facebook. Uh, all the information there again, free to come and attend. Bring some deer if you want to be scored. There's gonna be some giant bucks there for the big buck contest. All the winners are gonna be announced at the show. Uh, but also it's gonna be some awesome Q and A's there. Free food, free drink, family friendly all day. Come hang out. So yep. excited to see you guys. But other than that. Appreciate y'all watching. Appreciate y'all listening. And we'll catch you back in the next episode from the Southern Outdoors and Podcast. And remember, guys, y'all stay Southern. Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool. I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right. Giving you a heads up here. So go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the the, like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com.